0: Welcome to the Pursuit Rooted Podcast. I am Joseph Johnson, and this is my lovely wife. Samantha. And we are the pastors of Pursuit at Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. And we meet the first and third Sunday every month, typically, at 6 p.m. We'd love to have you come out. So this week we are continuing our section on scripture study, right? Yes. Yeah. (coughs) So we've talked about what... Scripture is meditation literature. The designs of Scripture, the types of literature. Um, this week, we're actually going to talk about like, doing a Bible study and interpreting what we're actually studying. Um, we're going to kind of walk through some stuff, you know, while we're recording this podcast, kind of, kind of, kind of give people an example of how you could maybe go through and and start a, a study over a section of Scripture or something like that. So, um, yeah, you ready to kind of get started with stuff here?
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So. Before we get going with the actual scripture that we're going to look at, um, we're going to talk about the principles for interpretation. So I, I've kind of made a list of five things I feel like are good principles for interpreting scripture when you're, when you're walking through it. Um, the first one is a, is a pretty standard across the board rule for scriptural interpretation, which is allow scripture to interpret itself. Um, so many times we will try to force an interpretation on scripture.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And... I think we've all heard those sermons, those those real like, kind of spiritualized sermons, and they're they're trying to extract a point out of the scripture. And in the process, it's like I don't even I don't think that that's what the the scripture was trying to get across there. But they make it work for the sermon, mm-hmm. you know, type of thing. Um, I'm not not necessarily not really a fan of that. But uh, I'd instead would rather say, okay, what is the scripture actually trying to say here? And if I don't know what it's trying to say then where can I go in the scripture to try to learn what it's saying? Sometimes you have situations like in the book of Daniel where Daniel didn't understand what he was seeing, but then it was told to him. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You have sections of scripture where they're calling back to other things in scripture, and you have to go back, and you have to look back and see what are they building on. (coughs) So where at all possible, let scripture interpret itself. Um, if if you do come across something you're just like man I don't see anything about this in scripture, um, then that would be an opportunity to check outside sources. That would be that would be where I would look at that. Um, there is a section of scripture, and it's in Titus, and Paul's talking to Titus, and he actually quotes one of the poets of Crete, and he makes a comment about. Uh, in this quote about Cretans being gluttons, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I believe that's what he says. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. I just don't remember him saying that. And I, I read that and I was like, well, what's he talking about here? So I went and I started Googling, like, well, who is this poet? What did they say? Where did this come from? Like, what was Paul quoting?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Because when I understood where Paul's mind was when he made that quote, it helped me to understand what he was actually trying to get across to Titus.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there's times where you do have to go outside scripture. And that's where you need to n- be sure of like what the sources that you're looking for. Um, just don't,
1: you don't be don't be doing quick Google searches. Yeah,
0: don't, yeah, don't guess. just don't be doing a quick Google search and taking the first thing that pops up. Mm-hmm. You know, don't do that. I, actually, give give it the time and the effort it needs to study.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I feel I, I know people that do that with like dream interpretation. Like they'll have a dream and they'll just Google what does this mean. You're that do not go down that. Because you're going to get into some crazy stuff that is not biblical if you do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, I read Mm -hmm. that if this happens, that's my dead loved one trying to talk to me. I'm like, well, maybe, but maybe not. (laughs) Uh, So, um, allow scripture to interpret itself. Go ahead, you want to go to the next one? Sure.
1: What is the design pattern? Major themes in Scripture tend to be written in a way that call the reader back to the previous passage. Um, So read through it multiple times and write down the flow that you see. And Mm -hmm. you were kind of talking about that. Um, I can't remember if it was the last one or the one before when you were talking about everything kind of goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden.
0: Back to to Eden, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, So design patterns, I believe, are pretty important. And I I feel that they're a way at which... uh, they're a way that helps us understand Scripture when we see the design pattern. I believe that the Scripture is written in design patterns. Um, I, I did not come across that idea myself. That came from Dr. Tim Mackey with the Bible Project. Um, I think that their stuff is phenomenal, and he's just an, uh, an insanely intelligent individual. But not just intelligent; he's hardworking. He puts to, puts the effort into to really study this stuff, and he specializes in Hebrew language. So um, he's done a very good job with the Bible Project, him and John Collins, and all the many other people that, that work on that together, and trying to make the Bible readable and understandable. Mm-hmm. And they talk a lot about these design patterns. So I remember when I first come across that and I started learning, it was like as I started to see the design pattern, it's like, oh, the scripture started to click more.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Because our brains want to compartmentalize things. They want to put things in nice boxes that we can see and we can understand. So when I begin to see this, like, reoccurring, theme and this reoccurring pattern in the scripture, that should be a key to me. That should be uh, a place I go and I'm like, okay, well, this has happened multiple times. So what was the point of it when it happened the first time? And And what is it trying to convey now?
1: You're kind of getting into principle number three where it says, does this design pattern appear elsewhere in scripture? Yeah. So it does.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I allow scripture to interpret itself. I ask, what is the design pattern that I'm seeing? So when I read through this story, what what are the key elements of it? And then, does it, does do I see this framework appear anywhere else in Scripture? This design pattern. So, a good thing I can do is I can go and I can look at all the places that I see that this design pattern appears.
1: So, when you talk, when you're saying design pattern, you're saying mm-hmm. like they're common themes.
0: Yeah. So, um, I I think we used Abraham and Sarah last time with Hagar. So, I see that there's a promise from God. God says He's going to do something but then man and woman conspire together. Woman stretches forth her hand, takes, she gives to Abraham. This happens. Here's the result. Mm-hmm. So I see that there's this, there's this operation happening. David looks and sees. He takes Bathsheba. This is the result. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I see that type of, that structure, that should call my mind back to, Eve saw, she took, and then she gave to her husband. So um, even in, and that's that's kind of a, um, I think that's kind of a bigger one. That's, an easier, that's uh-huh. an easier one to see. But there's there's also ones that aren't so easy to see. And that may be like, um, well, if I have a situation that involves the number 40, 40 days, uh, well, where have I seen 40 days appear in Scripture before? So when you're reading through Scripture, there's usually some like, Big key elements that you can point out to. And we're, we're going to get into that in just a little bit with what we're going to study. But, um, but you know, John the Baptist baptized Jesus. The heavens opened up. The Spirit came down. God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Like, there's some major key points there that I can extract and say, Okay, have I seen this happen in Scripture before? Something like this? Have I seen a situation where God has said, This is my beloved Son? Have I seen a situation before where the Spirit has came upon somebody? Have I seen a situation before? I just that's the kind of questions you ask and you say, What what does this mean? Like what is this trying to convey? Um, so I document those things and sometimes I got in here, sometimes it's as simple as a phrase. You see a phrase that, that occurs multiple times. And in the example that I gave at the beginning was took and gave. You know, Eve took and she gave. Hagar took and gave, you know. Um, so those those are kind of things that we can we can laser in on. But you have to you have to really be looking for these elements, you have, to, you have to read through it, read through it again, write down, okay, <clears throat> this happened in the narrative. And this is mainly what we're talking about here is narrative, you know. Now, if we're talking about discourse, where Paul's like in the letter of, to, to the Ephesians and he's, he's recounting a story for purpose of instructing, well, then when we, in the course of him like recounting something, we see something there and we're like, oh, what, why is he talking about that particular story in the process of trying to convey this message? So I want to go back, and I want to find that story in Scripture, and I want to find stories that are laid out like that story. Mm -hmm. And I want to see what is the meaning of this holistically in Scripture because I can't just take one section of Scripture and build a doctrine around it. Mm -hmm. I can't just take one particular section of Scripture and say that this is God's definite idea behind this, this, whatever this thing is. The Scripture is interpreted together. And if I do nitpick sections of Scripture and I do develop doctrines, I can sometimes develop, you know, inconsistent doctrines, mm-hmm. um, you know, let alone, in, you know, inaccurate. So I have to be mindful of that, um, because what Paul says over here, taken in a vacuum, may contradict something that goes on over here. So,
2: mm-hmm. what are we
0: going to do? Are we going to pick one and throw out the other? How are we going to do this?
2: Exactly.
0: A- and there's certain some certain hot button yeah. issues that that are like that. Mm-hmm. So we have to take a step back. And we have to interpret Scripture holistically, and in the process of doing that, we find. Where do we see this, like in a narrative, for instance, where do we see a recurring theme? What is that theme trying to convey? Why is the author in this discourse bringing up that theme and talking about it? Um, like Galatians, where he brings up um, uh, um, Abraham in the process of you know, explaining the spirit being given and the law and the seed. And when you're studying Galatians, it's a great idea to go back and study Genesis 13, 15, and 21 and like read those parts of the story about Abraham. Uh, because it's about the promise of the seed that's to come and the, you know the, the promise that's going to be given. So when we're reading scripture, we need to have that mindset of what is the story trying to convey here? Why is it trying to convey this? Has this happened anywhere else? What did it mean in other places? What does it mean now? you know how, how does this help me interpret what the author's trying to say? And maybe this will help explain a little better. These authors had this stuff like loaded up in their minds when they were writing. So when you get to Second temple writings, Like At that point, they had the Torah. They had this stuff loaded up in their mind, the stories of Numbers in the wilderness and all this. So when they're writing these things and they're calling back to those stories, they're calling the reader back to remembrance of those things for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And by the time we get to the New Testament, the Gospels, it's the same way. Mm -hmm. Matthew is writing to Jewish people, and he's got the Jewish history loaded up in his mind. It's preloaded into the Scripture. So when we read this, we need to be thinking about why is he calling back to a specific spot in the old covenant in the old testament? What is he trying to convey there? You know, is that is there a theme here that he's that he's like a hyperlinking from that that he's trying to give us a clue about what the the deeper meaning of this scripture is? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, and then I feel like the New Testament writers do a really good job of um, of putting that in there. Like I'm thinking, I think it's in Hebrew where. Uh, they talk about rest, and they refer back to Moses.
0: Yeah, Hebrews 3 and 4. and mm-hmm. they, they So you get a call back to Psalm 95, and then you get a call back to the, In the Wilderness, mm-hmm. in, the, in the Numbers book. The Hebrew name for Numbers is In the Wilderness. So in the wilderness where they were testing God, and they never entered into the rest mm-hmm. because of, of their unbelief, and that's exactly what Hebrews 3 and 4 says. So... When you read that section of Scripture, you need to go back and read Hebrews to really get a grasp of what it's trying to say. Um, So that was kind of getting into number four here. What are the commonalities between the current passage and previous passages of the same design pattern? Uh, Once the passages have been identified, read through them together and write down the commonalities. Um, So if I see see a reoccurring theme in Scripture, then I want to go read those different areas, and then I want to make notes about what are the common things between those areas of Scripture. And that's actually what we're going to do um, in a, the study that we're going to you know, do here in just a minute. So, uh, And then number five, you can go ahead and do that one?
1: Um, extract the meaning. What was the first occurrence of this pattern trying to teach us? And what is the current one set on analogy to the first one trying to teach us?
0: Yeah, so we look at what says at the beginning. What was the story of the garden trying to teach us? And then when we see that same experience play out again what is it trying to teach us now why are they calling back to that um, yeah I think I think this is a great in tool for interpretation um, because I think that the Bible is it's it's meant to be interpreted together it's not meant to just take one section of scripture and say well I know what that means it means this and uh, yeah and then we're going to build a doctrine around that it's like well no actually let's Let's see what the whole scripture has to say about this. Mm-hmm. Let's see how all this plays and, and fits in together.
1: So I don't think there's anything that we could really go through in life that we can say, okay, this that, this subject that I'm going through right now, that you can open up the Bible and find it in more than one section of the Bible. So you, mm-hmm. you more than likely could find it in the New Testament and Old Testament in different areas and kind of start a study on whatever it is that you're going through.
0: Yeah, yeah, and... And it can, um, like, one of the interesting things for me is, like, in Judges, how so many times it says, and they did what was right in their own eyes, Mm -hmm. and they did what was right in their own eyes. There's a a specific reason why the author put that in those situations, and it's a a clue for you to read that and say, why do they keep saying this? Why do I keep seeing this phrase repeated over and over again? What does this mean? What does it mean that they're doing right in their own eyes, and then... Where does what's this trying to link back to? When when did someone do what was right in their own eyes, and what was the result of that? What you know what led to this? Where are we going? That's the big thing. Is that when you read these sections of scripture, and you see these clues, it's like it should be a clue of like where we're going, mm. you know? Uh, and they did what was right in their own eyes. Well, what happened when Adam and Eve did what was right in their own eyes? You know, where did that lead to? So, if you hear like noise and stuff in the background, it's because our kiddos are they're running around downstairs, but not by themselves, but they're playing. They're playing downstairs while we're recording this right now. So, um. Um, but just part part of it, they're having a good time. So just letting you guys know, <laughs> because there's no telling what kind of noise is going to come up.
1: They're, they're currently going outside, so I don't think you have to
0: worry about it. Oh, are they? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, um, yeah, it could have it got really loud and funny there for a little bit. but yeah. All right. <clears throat> so you have anything you want to add about that before we move on here?
1: No. Let's
0: jump in. Okay, so we're going to look at studying Jesus in the wilderness, and we're going to look at Matthew three uh, and four, Luke three and four, and Mark one, and we're going to just kind of go through what are the major points that we see in these scriptures here. So I'm going to start at the the end of Matthew three, where Jesus is baptized, and then we'll read through Matthew three and four here. So there's going to be a little, quite a bit of scripture reading, but we're going to go through it, um, and then we're going to extract some some of the major points here. So. Um, all right. Matthew three thirteen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? <clears throat> but Jesus answered him, Let it be so, for thus it is fitting for, uh, for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Okay, so this section of scripture, let's make note of this. He's, he's baptized. He said, we want to fulfill all righteousness. The spirit comes upon him. What, when we see the spirit come upon people in scripture, what typically follows? Well, if you're Samson, you're, you're about to kill a lot of people in sin. <laughs> no, no, no not that the spirit did that but the same thing like the spirit would come mm-hmm. upon him mm-hmm. he would deliver Israel and then he would go make terrible mistakes and then God you know, God would the you know, spirit would come upon him again he would go deliver Israel he'd make terrible mistakes so um, when the spirit came upon Gideon he had boldness mm-hmm. to lead Israel and to be a deliverer for Israel um, the spirit come upon David there's there's these situations where the spirit coming upon Jesus what is about to happen that tells me when the Spirit comes upon somebody, it is for something. That's number one. And in the past, it seems like, in sections of Scripture, that, that typically what follows that is a a time at which there's an opportunity to exercise what has been given. I'll put it that way. A, a test, a trial. There's going to be a situation where now you're being asked to do something that you don't feel you're capable of doing, maybe in some in- cases.
1: Endued with power.
0: You, yeah, you're endued with power. And... And they do it anyway. Gideon, mm-hmm. you know, he he was given, uh, when the Spirit came upon him. He didn't tear down the idols in the day because he was still afraid, but he tore them down anyway. So we give him points for boldness there. It, you know, He was still a little frightened, but the, he did it anyway. But then he went on to lead Israel. He went on to, to be a deliverer of Israel. Um, so we see that. So we've got this theme here that we're, that we're hyperlinking back to. Anytime the Spirit comes upon somebody, the anointing, this is like the anointing in the Old Testament, the Spirit coming upon someone. It's for a purpose. It's going to be for something. So, and then we have God say this thing. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Okay. God is God is giving an identity label to Jesus.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He's not saying, wow, Jesus, you act like my son. He says, you are my son. This is your identity. You are my son, and I am very, very pleased with you. That That is not something... To just kind of breeze over this was this was preparing jesus is not only um not only for him to step into what he was about to step into uh with the power he needed but it was also putting him in the right mindset to step into what he was stepping into because he needed to have his identity squared away to step into what he was going to do um so god god did these two things here so we see this these things right here at the, at the beginning um and this is really there's going to be another neat connection here with with um my beloved son, so okay. um, so let's go on to next chapter with Matthew four. So this is the temptation of Jesus. I um, said so I'm trying to think. If we want to read through this whole thing because we got quite a bit of scripture to read through. So I'm not, I'm not going to read through the whole thing. I'm just going to point out the, the the main points of this here. Okay. Um, well, let's just go ahead and read it. Let's just go. Ahead. <laughs> All right. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. Okay, led into the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, forty days, forty nights. So let's go ahead and make note of that.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain to show him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, this is, we're going to stop there in, in chapter 4. We have, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mm-hmm. We have 40 days, 40 nights. We have three temptations. Mm-hmm. So, key points here, right?
1: Well, and each time he says, it is written. It so, is written. So for me, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, where exactly is it written? And I'm going to go back and see what is written.
0: Exactly. Yeah, what is that scripture trying to say? Why is Jesus hyperlinking back to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so... <clears throat> Now, let's go jump over to Luke. Now, Luke is a bit more wordy <laughs> uh, in his writing, but that is perfectly fine.
1: Not in the baptism part.
0: Luke uh, 3.21. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead and read it if you'd like.
1: When all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And he was praying, when he was praying, Heaven, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, "You are my beloved son; with whom I am well pleased."
0: So we have the same thing that that um, Matthew wrote, because Matthew, um, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. They kind of share a lot of the same stories. And so we got the same thing wr- written here about Jesus. The dove descended. So, and my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. But then. Luke adds the genealogy of Jesus at the end of this here, mm-hmm. right before. So he, he plugs in something in here that the other author does not. So it says when Jesus was about to begin his ministry, he was about 30 years old of age, being the son, and it goes all the way through the genealogy of Jesus, and it ends, it ends this is such a good thing, this ends with, and the son of Adam, the son of God. Mm-hmm. Why did Luke add in this genealogy that ended with the first man being called the Son of God right after the Son of God was just called my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased? It's really interesting that he tied that together, right?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we have Jesus about to go. We know he's about to go into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We know that the Spirit is the one who's driving him in the wilderness. To be tempted by the devil, we know that he's been given his identity by the Father. And he's been empowered to do what God has called him to do. But then Luke gives us a little little clue here about something else. He says Jesus is of the lineage, physically of human form. He's of the lineage of Adam, mm-hmm. who was the son of God. The first son of God failed at the temptation and lost it. The last. Son, the Son of God,
2: mm-hmm.
0: is going to be empowered by the Spirit to succeed. I think that's pretty neat. That is. That's a really cool how Luke plugs that in there. And he, he's calling our mind back to, wait, Adam was the Son of God, but God just said that Jesus is his beloved Son. So where Adam was tested and failed, Jesus is going to be tested and succeed. Really neat. I like that. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. So we get on to uh, chapter, four. Uh, chapter 4, and... This is essentially the same thing that that Matthew writes, so we're not going to read um, we're not going to read this because it's this the same thing that Matthew wrote. But I do want to go to Mark, though. So dun. I think it's neat that like you have, and I want to be careful because some people get really uh, intense about this about the language, and language matters. So I want to make sure we get it right. But we have. The first man, and we have the second man, okay. And the, and it's it's that's really a specific word. Adam was the first man. Jesus is the second man, mm-hmm. but Adam was the first Adam, and Jesus is the last Adam. And those those have two very specific meanings. Jesus was the last person of the lineage of Adam, according to Romans. He was the last Adam, which there's a lot to unpack there. Romans. Five, twelve through twenty-one is the scripture. Maybe we could explore that at some point. But that section of scripture calls back to what Adam lost and what Adam did wrong, and Jesus was the Jesus was the finality of the humanity of Adam. So we've got two human humanities. We say we have a first man, a second man. We've got two humanities. You're either of Adam or you're of Jesus. That's it. Mm-hmm. And when I when I was baptized into Christ by the Spirit, I died. To my life in Adam. And I live in my life in, in Jesus. There's only two humanities. And Jesus Jesus put the. He put the final touches. So to speak. On the humanity of Adam. I think th- there's so much to unpack there. But this is.
1: It, like completely ends it. But also is a new beginning.
0: It's Yes it ends it. But there's a new new beginning. Because now he is the resurrection life. Mm-hmm. And now we can step into the humanity of Christ. But you still have all these people walking around in Adam. Adam's dead. Adam, there's no life in Adam. There's no existence in Adam. Adam is dead. Adam has been put to death, and the free gift of salvation is now available to everyone. And going back to what we're talking about right here now, it's it started with the first son of God, but then the final son of God. He wrapped it all up. He, where the first son of God failed, the final son of God succeeded. I think, that, I think that's really cool. That's what we're trying to... That seems to be what it's trying to unpack here. So... Um, let's read this here, Mark 1. So we'll start with verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And then it says, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was in the with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. That's all that Mark writes. Mm-hmm. That's it. A
1: very short, sweet, and to
0: That's it. Now let's let's unpack this here. Though the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, he was there for forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So <clears throat> this this I let I me mean, think how to say this here. We have Luke setting Jesus and Adam. We're, we're He's calling the reader back to see that Adam was the first son of God, but now we have this beloved son. We have this one that God has spoken from heaven and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. We had Adam in the garden with the animals.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We got Jesus in the wilderness being ministered by angels with the wild animals. This whole section of scripture is calling us back to see where Adam failed. Jesus is going to succeed. I think that, that that's just that's awesome to me. That is. That's it's really cool. So major points in this: Jesus was baptized and he's spirit filled. He's called the beloved Son. We have a genealogy that ties back to Adam. That's po- calling our minds back to Adam in the garden, and that's in Luke only. We have the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. So it was it was God's will that Jesus be tested. Say God's will. It was God's intentions. He wanted Jesus to be tested. He wanted Jesus to know who he was and then be tested to walk in that power and to succeed where Adam failed. He was there for 40 days. This is, a, this is a big one. We can start going back in Scripture and looking, where have we seen 40 before?
1: Well, I'm even thinking of like the symbolism of the dove. Like where, plenty of cases where we've seen that.
0: Mm-hmm. We have that with Noah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, and the, the universal symbol for peace is Okay, we can, we can really, we're already 29 minutes in this. We can really go, this came upon him like a dove. The dove with an olive branch is the universal symbol for peace.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Before Jesus could go into a time of testing, he had to be in a place of peace.
1: Not preach.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll start speaking in tongues right here on the podcast. So.
2: <laughs>
0: so, 40 days. First time you see 40 days appear in scripture, Noah. Fun fact, they were in... Ark for a way longer than forty days, though people will miss that point. But it rained for forty days and forty nights. So forty days, forty nights. There's a time of testing, of trial. Moses up on the wilderness without any food and water, being sustained by God. Um, Jesus in the wilderness being tempted. We anytime. We, so we're, what we're seeing is that forty seems to be uh, associated with testing, as well as um, three days or three temptations. Number three being associated with, tempta- with uh, testing with trial as well, um, and also. It's got multiple meanings in Scripture, but we see that uh, there's these three temptations. Um, so we've got all this all this happening, and what was what, did, what were there? Uh, whenever Eve took the fruit off the tree, there was three things that she's that was about the fruit. It was uh, good for the flesh, good for the eyes. Um, was it good for wisdom? I, I, I had to go back and look at the Scripture there, but basically there was those three things, and then John. Calls back to that later on in First John says, all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. So we got these these this kind of like recurring pattern of three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the wild animals which appeared only in Mark. So we've got all this stuff taking place here in the scripture. And once we get a list of all these points, that's when we start dissecting this. We've kind of already been dissecting this, but we start dissecting it. And we say, well, what is this trying to convey to me? So I start with the baptism. And what I'm seeing right from the beginning is that, one, Jesus said we need to do what's right because it's right to do what's right. I
1: don't think Jesus said that. <laughs> but okay. that that's the point he was trying to get across. Uh-huh, I think yeah. Joe
0: McGee said it. But, but Jesus, this is what, to fulfill all righteousness. This is what, this is what we're doing. The, the Spirit comes upon him to enable him to do what he's about to do. Comes upon him like a dove. God speaks his identity over him. The spirit takes him into the wilderness to be tested. He succeeds in the temptations and the trials and testing. But he succeeds in it because he's submitted to the Father. He's enabled by the Spirit. He's full of the Word. He's full of the power. And after that time of testing, then he goes out and begins to minister. And this is calling the reader back. When you have Mark and Luke brought into this as well, it's calling the reader back to, oh, Adam was in the garden, and he was the Son of God, but he failed.
1: I think if you ju- if you had just read these two accounts just in Matthew alone and not added in Mark and Luke, you mm. wouldn't have that full linked fiction. that up yeah
0: no, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: because Luke does the genealogy, Mark does the wild animals in the wilderness mm-hmm. yeah it would it, you, but you could have gotten the the bulk of what it was trying to say there, but you would have missed the greater point, which is mm-hmm. we're going back to Eden yeah. this is this is linked back to Eden fundamentally so. I think maybe you could still get there with Matthew, but it would, it would really have to be a, very intuitive in Scripture. Like you really, um, you really kind of you're in flow with what's happening there. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> and then and, um, he's also ministered by ministered to by angels, which I think is pretty neat. Like they God God at the point of after this, the temptation, God provided to him what he needed. Like that that he was his sustenance, he was his, he was his, his ability. Um, so what do we have here in uh, and, and the process of, of reading through the Scripture? So we have, we've read through the Scripture, we've documented all the major points, we have a pretty good feel for what it's trying to say. So who's the target audience? Uh, Matthew, that's the Jews. He was writing to Jewish people. Luke, uh, Theophilus, um, and Greek Christians, because if you go to read book, the book of Acts, he's writing to Theophilus and he talks about his prior account. So Luke and Acts go together; they're like volume one and two. Um, and then Mark, Greek-speaking residents of the Roman Empire, so he was he was writing a, more of a, a synopsis of the whole story. It's a little, a little more shortened version of That's the rest of the like gospel.
1: Luke seems to be more of a uh, educated account.
0: Yeah, he's very thorough, very very mm-hmm. very thorough. Yeah. So applying the interpretive principles is what does the scripture? Does the scripture gives us any clues about what it is saying. We've kind of already talked about that. We see these these points that we can hyperlink back to other sections of Scripture. What's the pattern that we see? Well, the pattern is is that this is a son who's about to be tempted, and he's going to succeed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, well, where did we see this before? This was a son who felt temptation. He was driven from the presence of God. Yeah. So do we see this pattern appear anywhere else? Well, we see that in uh, in? Eden, but also you can really kind of like start, you can go through and you can extract situations from the Old Testament where say, people yeah. were tried and they failed mm-hmm. or they succeeded and you can see this same design pattern there. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the commonalities between the other occurrences? So we could, like I said, we could go through and look at those. We're not going to go through all those here, but I would go back through the scripture and I would look for those situations where people were tried and see, well, how did they, how, how did they handle that trial? How did they handle that temptation? Did they trust God? Did they? Uh, you know what? What was the outcome of that?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then, what does it appear the author is trying to convey in this passage? And that's where we said, this is where the first Adam failed. The second, the uh, last Adam is going to succeed. Where the first humanity was lost, the second humanity is going to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's pretty amazing. It is. So that was really quick. Because we, this is 35 minutes, we're not going to keep going with that because we only have so much time on the podcast. But that's kind of just break down how we would kind of go through some Scripture. Let me just summarize this. Principles for interpretation. Allow Scripture to interpret itself. What's the design pattern? Does this pattern occur elsewhere in Scripture? What are the commonalities between the current passages and all the previous ones of the same design pattern? And what is the meaning? What is it trying to tell me when I put all this together and I look at it together? Yeah. anything else you want to add?
1: Uh, I think we're just going to expound upon. Like, I would, if I was guessing, I would think some of our listeners would say, "Well, what if I, if the meaning is not like, kind of in your face? Like, what do I do then?" But I think we're kind of going to expound upon that and, and maybe give some resources in the next. Podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and also, it, it's fun to. Stu- it's really fun to study scripture. But um, sometimes people just, like, they have their own little personal Bible study in the morning or the evening or whenever they do it. But it's important to do this as a part of a community. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to have some people who, as you're reading something, they're going to say, hey, this reminds me of,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or what, what do you think you, sh- what about this? Yeah,
1: you know, and, and then you have more analytical thinkers like yourself. And then there's me. <laughs> and most, <laughs> most of the people listening to this, and you're like, I would never thought of that. So it's good to, you know, have different... People with different mind, minds and the way that they work to yeah. to collaborate on stuff.
0: So. And honestly, you you have to you have to be a student of Scripture. Um, just picking up the Bible once a week is not. It's just not going to do it. It's just if you really want to be a, a student of Scripture, that's not how it works. You you have to study and meditate on this. You have to be in it and. To, s- to r- begin to recognize the patterns, you have to have studied the previous section of Scripture. And I know people who think, I only study the New Testament. And it's like, you cannot really fully understand the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament. You right. just can't. Because these authors are calling back to the Old Testament.
1: Mm-hmm. And for a reason.
0: Yeah. If, if you don't understand covenants in the Old Testament, then yeah. you will not understand the power of the New Covenant that we're in. It's That's so wildly important. I've taught over covenants I don't know how many times. And I love that It's one of my favorite topics. Um but it's really important to, one, read Scripture. Just get it in you. But then study passages. Study them. like uh, Start in the Old Testament and study through them. And, f- and when we do this next podcast, we're going to talk about resources. Use resources that are good resources that have uh, – uh, let me think about how to say this. They,
2: unbiased.
0: That are As unbiased as possible, yeah. They, just, they try to go back to the original meaning of the text, and they, they're really trying to help you understand, not their interpretation of it. Um, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I I don't think I have anything else to add there, so we'll we'll jump into the next one in a minute. But, yeah, anything else you want to say? That was good. That
1: was a good little Bible study.
0: It was. I enjoyed that. All right, with that being said, uh, yeah, go do what Jesus said, and we'll see you next time on the Pursuit Rooted podcast.